Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm back, baby. <laughs> Wait, who are you? <laughs> I'm Brenna, and I'm All back. Right. Yay. <laughs> And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tkumloops-Tay-Swetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Swetmagulu. And today's text, The Vampire Diaries, well... The book is kind of set in a fictional town, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it was shot in Covington, Georgia, which is the traditional land of the Muscogee Creek people. Yes. And Joe, mm-hmm. Joe, I'm back, Joe. You are, Brenna. I barely <laughs> recognize your own voice. So listeners will have noticed that I have been away for a couple of weeks. I was dealing with a family situation that took me out of town and away from the mic. I want to give a huge thank you to Jenny and Jessica for co-hosting In My Stead and doing an annoyingly good job. Actually, really mm-hmm. bothered me, to be honest. <laughs> I felt irreplaceable until listening to those episodes. Um, and thank you to Joe for keeping the show rolling while I was unexpectedly drawn away for a few weeks. Yeah, it was not my favorite point. And yes, big <laughs> ups for Jenny and Jessica for honestly coming in cold and having to do it with me as I tried to figure out like a new banter and different situation. They are both podcasting pros. So it was a Mm -hmm. great experience. But I was definitely like, oh, Brenna and I have developed a very significant rapport (laughs) over the last couple of years. So it it felt like wearing somebody else's shoes. Yes. (laughs) It didn't sound like it, though. You guys sounded really good. But I know how hard you worked to recut stuff and make it all fit and i'm super (laughs) grateful and also i totally burned through our cushion we had like several weeks of cushion built up and i ate all of it but we're back we're back on track we're back on schedule we're Mm -hmm. gonna talk about some crappy vampire stories so we're back to us baby Yes, and I know that we have been getting responses for Book Club. Uh, yes. Rest assured, folks, we are going to be following through on the promise. So next week's episode, we will be tackling Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. So you will be hearing your stories read back to you and people's responses. So we really oh. appreciate people writing in. Yay! And honestly, my reread of that book was just so joyful. <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk about it next week. But yeah. before that, we're going to talk about L.J. Smith's Vampire Diaries from like the 90s and stuff. Indeed, 1991. Yeah, so folks, we are talking about the first four books in the series. I will not talk about the two subsequent series that follow this because those are hot garbage. And I Sorry, cannot... let's, let's not skate over the fact that for this episode, you did make me read four books. <laughs> oh, they are. They are verging <laughs> on middle grade books. But, uh, let's... Let's not cushion the blow. I do enjoy these books. I have a lot of nostalgic fondness for them. But you can read one of these sitting down while you go to the bathroom. (laughs) Okay, well, maybe see a doctor. (laughs) I genuinely enjoyed the read. I have to say, one thing I noticed is how much easier it is to set up a thriller when Mm -hmm. no one has cell phones. Right? Yeah. Don't because you think? all of a sudden you've got to get in the car and drive as fast as possible. There's like infinity situations in these four books where if somebody could have just texted someone, mm-hmm. everything resolved 100%. Uh, 
I mean, I'm not sure about an immortal vampire who can only be killed by a particular type of wood being supported by a cell phone. (laughs) Text me, baby. (laughs) Vicky, get out of the house. (laughs) Oh, my God. And so many characters are the worst, but they're the worst in like a really pleasurable way. Like not enjoying these characters doesn't fill me with rage. It just it's sort of fun. So I, uh, I liked it. But I guess we should tell people what it's about. Indeed, yes. And I I will say the Wikipedia entry for the novels is surprisingly succinct. (laughs) I don't have it open, so you can fill in my gaps. Okay. Okay, so our main character is Elena, or Elena. I call her Elena. I don't know if that's right. It's Elena, yeah. Okay, she's the worst human being on the planet. (laughs) She is easily the worst character in these books, which is hard because she is our heroine and protagonist. But it makes it so that when they kill her off in book three, which, spoiler alert, they kill her off in book three, Mm -hmm. it's so great because you're not sad. (laughs) No. Yeah, I I think we're supposed to be like, oh, no, teen (laughs) goddess, the girl that all the girls want to be and all the boys want to be with. And then you're just thinking, actually, she was kind of really awful to nearly everyone. And all of her friends are better off. Yeah, everyone is better off when she dies. Even the vampire boyfriend Mm -hmm. is better off for her dying. So that's great, because I think that even if unintentional, that's a great plot twist. Mm hmm. So Elena is the sort of... uh, Elena. Elena, whatever. Like, who could care, to be honest with you? Let's talk about Bonnie. Now there's a girl I could get behind. Oh, shocker. The book smart one who's, like, socially (laughs) awkward. Hey, and psychic. We're nothing alike. Can we talk about the druids? (laughs) Yes. So there's a threesome of girls. Elena, (laughs) Meredith... (laughs) It's your other show, Joe. Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> I told you I'm out of practice. <sighs> there are three girls. Elena, Meredith, and Bonnie. They are best friends. Mm-hmm. They are being threatened in the high school pecking order by Carolyn, who is also terrible. And also yeah, bad things nasty. happen to her. And also that's fine. A little bit. Yeah. Elena has a boyfriend named Matt, who... We have to circle back, Joe, because I need you to explain the end of book four to me. Okay. Because I don't understand what happened. He's just a hunk of cheese slash wood who doesn't really have any (laughs) defining traits apart from being nice and all-American. Okay, why does Damon feed off him at the end of book four? Because he was going to die. Oh, Okay. I mean, it's, it's how everything goes. It's like in desperate situations, the vampires will feed on the human beings and the humans will be like, well, you need it more than I do. Yeah, it's true. That happens like 93 times over the course of <laughs> four books. Oh, and you don't even want to talk about the TV show. <laughs> oh, really? Um, so anyway, she has this boyfriend, Matt. He's very nice, but um, mortal and like can't murder her. So obviously not like very attractive. They've just broken up. When a handsome new foreign exchange student from Italy, question mark, arrives, and his name is Stefan, you know, that well-known Italian name, Stefan. Not Stefan. Definitely not Stefan. (laughs) I don't don't know. Why why are you riding me so hard on this, Joe? None of this matters. The way that you're saying it makes me think of the (laughs) SNL character who talks about the great club scene in New York. (laughs) He's not dissimilar. (laughs) Anyway, he has an evil brother, big shocker, named Damon. Both he and Damon were turned into vampires by a woman named Catherine, 
who turned them both into vampires because she thought then they could live in an actual vampire threesome for Correct. eternity. Yes. Turned out the brothers were like, mm, actually, no, thank you. And also, why are we both vampires now? And um, became also, mortal we enemies. don't like each other. Yeah. And you're a bit of a dum-dum. <laughs> yeah. And so she dies slash fakes her own death. She looks yes. a lot like Elena, Elena. And so <laughs> as a result... He immediately falls in love with her. Um, very much an Edward-Bella sort of relationship, except that Elena, Elena, can actually do stuff. And <laughs> Stefan doesn't actually seem to want to kill her. Like, he, he, he's... No, he actively doesn't want to even be around her because he doesn't yeah. trust himself. Whereas the big difference with Twilight is that they seem like these doomed lovers who can only come together and possibly kill each other. Whereas mm -hmm. here, you're kind of like, oh, this teen girl has a fixation that she doesn't understand with a bad boy. And mm -hmm. he's like, no, I'm a bad boy. I can't be around you. Go mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. Yes. And she has a lot more agency than Bella. And she faints, I would say, 400 times less often. This is fair. Yes randomly injures herself less frequently she's just i don't right. like her she's not fun to read but she's a much more actual human being character than mm -hmm. bella could ever hope to be so that makes the relationship a lot more sort of equal footing anyway right the town's being haunted for some reason that seems to relate to the civil war but is not unpacked at all no and there have been vampires in the past one of them is Meredith's grandfather. He's mm -hmm. in a hospital. Eventually, a lot of them die, but some of them don't. And then <laughs> Elena comes back to life at the end. And then... Oh my gosh. This is so confusing. And I've read all of the books, Brenna. Here, I'm going to drive for two minutes. <laughs> So it is revealed that the big bad is actually Catherine, who has discovered that her doppelganger now basically usurped her because both boys are, of course, in love with Elena. This makes Catherine very mad. So yeah, she does kill a bunch of people. She does uh, end up actually killing Elena. And then Elena is brought back to life as a vampire. And then she dies so that she can kill Catherine. That's the end of book three. And then book four takes place about, what is it, six months later? Yes. Yes. Uh, basically, there is a new haunting that is happening in Mystic Falls, which is the town that this all takes place in. And it is revealed that the person who is doing all of the new killings and hauntings is Catherine's maker, Klaus. And he is an original immortal vampire. And they basically end up having to, like, call Stefan and Damon back from Europe. But also they end up having to, like, resuscitate Elena, who is living in the spirit plane. And she sucks Klaus away and everybody is happy. I don't understand how that was clear. <laughs> a bunch <laughs> of people died and Elena died a couple times and the end. And when she comes back to life, she's naked. And there's something very erotic about the scene where Matt and uh, Damon get together at the end. The end. <laughs> uh, but I wish for more like homoerotic nonsense in these No, books. it's very much the 90s. This is a book about very well-behaved straight white teenagers. <laughs> very much so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, as I say, like, I think the, com the comparisons with Twilight are obvious. And I'm sure people with more familiarity with the genre have made them before. But I do mm -hmm. think what's important is that even though like I have a big old personality clash with Elena's character, she's far more complex and interesting. And she has actual motivations. She is too obsessed with the boy, but yes, 
there are other things that motivate her. Not enough, right? Like her mm -hmm. genuine lack of regard for her sister really keeps surprising Ooh. me over and over again, for example. Yeah. But those layers are there. And I think it makes her much easier to take than a character like Bella, for me anyway. Yeah, I won't lie. I had a lot of difficulty being in Elena's headspace on this reread. And in part, I think because I read all of the books back to back, right? Like you just breeze through them. Mm -hmm. But also, it's a lot of her because it's, it's first person voiceover <laughs> narration kind of deal. And yeah, you often wish that you were getting insight into what other people's experiences were like. Like, do they know how terrible Elena is treating them? You get hints, but it's very 90s YA heroine where mm -hmm. she is the center of her own story. And as a result, every other person just circulates around her. Like Matt frequently reminds her that she is self-involved, but sometimes mm -hmm. you're not sure whether that is like Matt's a jealous ex-boyfriend or right. Matt is revealing some deeper inner truth. Carolyn is angry with Elena and you're not sure if that's just jilted Jealousy. mean girl situation yeah. or she's actually revealing a deeper truth and it's not really until you get to book four where you are in bonnie's head but lj smith is much less narratively circumscribed i'll be generous like the book moves all over the place in book four it's like mm -hmm. you go all over the place perspective wise uh I, and i'm not entirely sure it's all intentional um but you do actually get to see more of the interior lives of the different characters like you understand more of what matt motivates matt for example in that book mm -hmm. yeah i will say that dark reunion is actually my favorite for that reason mm -hmm. not just because we do get those other perspectives and we're not trapped with elena who as mm -hmm. we said repeatedly is kind of the worst yeah. but um particularly in dark reunion it actually feels like you're paying off a lot of the things that happened in the first three books like mm -hmm. i kind of look at it as a bit of a trilogy and then book four is a standalone like i'm not entirely convinced that it was always planned because the other three oh, books no. come out very close together and then yes. there's like a one-year gap and then dark reunion comes out and i think what happened it's was a cash-in yeah. I think it might be that, but also that people were unhappy that Elena died. They felt like the story oh. wasn't actually done. So this oh. gives Elena the happy ending, but you can't just bring Elena back at the beginning of book four. So basically by painting yourself into a corner, LJ Smith then is forced to become a little bit more industrious and say, okay, well, what other stories are there to tell? How do I tell them from other people's point of view? I absolutely can't relate to an experience of reading this book and getting to the end of book three and being like, I need to know more about Elena. <laughs> well, to be a little generous to this, because like these books are very important to my sister. So I imagine for girls of a certain age, this would have been like catnip, right? Like you do right. want to be Elena if you're at that age. And I think one of the things that really came through for me, especially on the reread, is that it feels like a really satisfying three book arc for Elena, but it's also really unexpected. Like I didn't expect her to get turned into a vampire at the end of book two. I definitely didn't expect her to die for good at the end of book three. Like it's kind of quietly shocking. Well, I did. I texted you and I was like, um, unexpected, but this series has the highest body count of anything we've read. Mm -hmm. Like, and I include that one with the teenage boys who murder, who get killed by the thing in the woods or whatever. <laughs> the maze runner? Yes. That's the one. Yeah, I'm including that. Like, a lot of people, I'm including all the Hunger Games books. I'm pretty sure more people die here. <laughs> and in more grisly ways, like, the deaths are grisly. Like, the way the teacher dies. 
Oh, I like that one. Yeah. And as you read through the book series, you keep finding out more details. Like in book four, it gets revealed to us that like he had tried to stab Damon. So now there's like an additional weapon. It's just like mm -hmm. the book never gets tired of people bleeding. Oh, no. And I think that's a response to the fact that there are so many vampires running around. I mean, part of the fun of reading a 90s book is like a lot of these descriptive terms have kind of gone out of style. So you're reading it and you're like, oh, that's a very odd way of describing certain things. Yeah. But I, there's so much gnashing and biting and ripping <laughs> these yep. books. You're just like, oh, okay. Like Twilight always made everything sound sexy, right? Like, yes. Ooh, I want to get bitten by Edward. Whereas here it's like, okay, well, I can feel uh, people's life force when I bite them, but also it's excruciatingly painful if you yeah. resist. And there's blood everywhere. Like, yes. that's the thing. It's so gory. I think what's so troubling about the way violence is depicted in Twilight is that it is so sexualized mm -hmm. and simultaneously chaste, right? Yes whether it's the resistance or the surrender, in both cases, there's something like beautiful about it in the way, well, I, like, I don't think she's a particularly gifted writer, but I can tell that the goal is describing it with beauty. Right. Whereas I think LJ Smith wants to gross us out a lot of the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Not that there isn't eroticism here, because obviously it's vampires, people are sucking on each other. Like, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, it's there naturally. But, like, the murder scenes, the death scenes, like, the way Vicky dies? Oh, yeah. It's horrifying. They're horrifying. Like, these are sort of horror for girls, first and foremost, as opposed yes. to, like, supernatural romance for girls. Mm -hmm. Well, that is one of the interesting things to me, is that most often in these books, it's the women who are the victims. So I get a heavy dose of kind of reality, like, stranger danger, don't mm -hmm. trust men... And that this really gets extrapolated out to the TV series, but it's kind of like, this is a small town where everybody knows each other, and there's a lot of paranoia about people who look different or act different in these books. Yes. It's almost in a way telling on itself, where it's like, oh, if you're in a good small town, be mindful of strangers, because they could be the ones who are killing vagrant people living near the cemetery. Especially the Italians. <laughs> Oh, it's such a weird thing, right? I assume everybody in the town pronounces it that way. Do you remember when um, we had Lucia on the show to talk about that weird show? No Good Nick? That one. And mm -hmm. she was talking about um, the way in that show an Italian character is used as kind of like a stand-in for a racialized character. Yes. Like in a way that is sort of submissive to narratives of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. I get strong vibes about that here for the same reason, right? Oh, sure. Especially in the context of like the Italian American who was for so long the racial outsider until it became more convenient for other people to be racial outsiders to whiteness. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you totally get that with what's happening with the Salvatore brothers and the way the town perceives them and the idea that they're both the same as far as the town can understand. When really, let's be real, the true danger to the young women of the town is the all-American boy, Tyler. Yeah, Tyler. Right? He's the true danger. Well, I, lo I love that the book really pulls the rug out from under you because mm -hmm. it's clear that he's bad news from the very beginning. And then, you know, obviously leans into genre trapping by turning him into a werewolf. But at the end of the day, his motivation is that he wants to be able to force himself onto women. Yes, yes! That's what he it's wants. terrifying. 
It is so 90s in the matter-of-fact way that it deals with sexual harassment and sexual violence, though, too. Like, the girls just know to expect that mm -hmm. from the young men in their classes in a way that it's interesting how, I mean, that's the culture I was raised in, right? But I, mm -hmm. it's shocking to me now to look back and see how normalized that kind of sexualized violence was. Yeah. Wow. Like, that's one place where I think we've come a decent way. Yeah, thankfully. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do want to circle back, though, to the piece you just mentioned, because I do get the impression that there's something kind of like weirdly white supremacy in the way that Klaus is coded. Like, yes, he's not just a foreigner. He's not just somebody who comes from like Europe. But I get the impression that he's kind of coded in that blonde hair, blue eyes. Aryan. Thank you. Yes. Like yeah. he's the Aryan master race. Yes. Well, life. and this obsession with the original, right? Mm -hmm. The first. That's just all language that white supremacists use to describe America, right? Yeah. Which is, I mean, asinine and wrong, but it is the rhetoric that they like. And you hear that in Klaus, right? And the purity of Klaus's vampire exactly. blood compared to people who have been turned um, and the strength that comes from his purity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, and this is something that I don't think the books unpack enough, right? No. Is there's this underlying thing about the fact that this town was a major site in the Civil War. Yes. And... I want to talk about this in relation to the TV show because I want to know if it does more than the bits that I've seen. Right. But yeah, first of all, like the idea is very 1990s conversations about race, right? Like mm -hmm. a lot of people died here on both sides. Oh, like that's what we're told. Yes. I was so uncomfortable with that part where it's like <laughs> the ghosts of Confederate soldiers and, you know, Union soldiers come up and they agree that there will be no more bloodshed and they work together and you're just like, oh, uh, what is this messaging? But it reminds me of the way people talked about the Civil War, even in like history classes in the 90s, right? It was like, well, the Civil War wasn't really about slavery. It was about states' rights. And you right. kind of want to be like, <clears throat> like states' rights to own human beings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, don't You need to finish the clause. <laughs> <laughs> the clause. <laughs> the clubs. But this is the idea that it's it's a very sanitized version. It's like and it's almost like LJ Smith is so desperate to have the conversation. She's seeding it all over the place. And yet I don't know if she doesn't feel capable, if it doesn't feel like the right moment. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but none of them come to fruition. And for me that's the frustration of these books is that yes. they are posing as these fluffy things. And I think what's a great joy about these books is I don't think they take themselves very seriously. Right. My big problem with Twilight is that... It takes itself very seriously. So seriously. Like, she thinks <laughs> she's writing Wuthering Heights, right? Yes. And like, as a result, when she fails to achieve that mark, you kind of want to die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and But here, like, here, these are just fun and frothy books. And yet, there's all this stuff about yes. sort of, like... American politics that's like right under the surface and she doesn't pull those strings and I mm -hmm. it left me very unsatisfied for that reason yeah I can 100% see it I haven't done research about her like as an author and like I don't know if she's talked about this but obviously my favorite Christopher Pike was very active in this particular period writing mm. the same kind of sensational teen 
genre fair and Mm. one of the criticisms was like the depiction of people of color and the diversity like the stereotype tropes like if there was a black character or um you know like a mexican character they were often associated with gang violence or racialized language and that kind of stuff and he has talked in articles and interviews after the fact about how he was unable to make these characters more memorable or to flesh them out by the publisher. He was told, you are not allowed to do this because this is not what these books are. Like, we want light and frothy because it's the 90s. Mm. So it is entirely possible that she wanted to do more. It could be entirely possible that, like, she's just drawing on her own background, but she didn't feel the need to unpack it. Or it could just be like, yeah, oops, I just didn't really realize I was doing that. Uh, it's fascinating. I would I would love to know more. And also, I'm not going to read any more of these books. Like, four is enough. <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed okay. them. So you don't want to do The Secret Circle, is what you're saying. Because literally, know what the is. exact same creative pair made a TV show that only lasted one season. But it's, like, the exact same type of writing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it about witches? It is about witches. Oh, you know what? You could talk me into it if it's about witches. Okay. Uh, I may yeah. hold you to that. We'll see. Okay. Let's talk about this dumb show. I really didn't like it. <laughs> I tremble. For over a century, I have lived in secret. Until now. I know the risk, but I had no choice. I have to know her. Me I must have said I'm fine at least 37 times, and I didn't mean it once. She took my breath away. It's a working step. Being in her world does make you feel alive. I wanted to change who I was, create a life as someone new. Someone without the past, without the pain. Are you following me? Just stay away from Elena. And take that as an invitation. So next, something better. She's losing a lot of blood. I promised you an eternity of misery. I'm just keeping my word. Not here. I won't allow it. Imagine what her blood tastes like. I can't. I'm Elena. I'm Stefan. I know. We have history together. Okay, so folks, you have heard me tease The Vampire Diaries, which aired on The CW from 2009 through to 2017. It lasted eight seasons, and we talked about this, Brenna, briefly when we talked about Kevin Williamson in one of our minisodes. Yes, yes we did. He is obviously the creator of Dawson's Creek and Scream, and I know what you did last summer, so this is very much his wheelhouse. He apparently did not want to do this show. He was convinced by his producing partner. (laughs) (laughs) He was convinced by his producing partner, Julie Pleck, that this would be a good fit for him. So he read the books, and he realized that he was interested in telling stories about the town. So he's actually not interested in Elena or the romance. He's interested in the idea of a town that is haunted by supernatural occurrences, which is why... As you get into the TV show, you start to realize like, oh, we're talking about witches and vampires and ghosts and a bunch of other gobbledygook stuff. The other fun thing about the TV show is that it burns through plot like nobody's business. (laughs) So folks, we did watch episodes 1, 6, and 13 from season 1. And I picked those because those are episodes primarily written by... Williamson and Pleck. So um, usually showrunners write important episodes because they're the kind of ones that the rest of the season are built around. Mm. And they also match a little more closely to some of the content that we were reading in the book. So 
just quickly, our cast. We do have Canadian Nina Debrev as Elena. Degrassi Connection. Yes. We've got uh, Paul Wesley as Stefan, Ian Summerhalder as Damon, Stephen R. McQueen as Jeremy Gilbert. That is Elena's brother, who is basically replacing her toddler sister in the book. So Margaret yeah. is not in the show because you can't make that sexy. So we need a <laughs> sexy, drug addict brother. Oh, the CW. Uh, it's fine. Stephen R. McQueen gets a scene where he chops wood in a later season, and it's very enthralling. <laughs> We have Sarah Canning as Jenna or Aunt Jenna, because in the TV show, she has also been aged down. So she is hot and dateable. She's super hot. So hot. <laughs> like, to the point where you think, this is ridiculous. Are we just, are, are we not going to go with the cousin or the older sister route or something? No, no, <laughs> Aunt. Okay, got it. Uh, we've got Cat Graham as Bonnie. There is no Meredith in the TV show. So what you end up getting is a bit of Bonnie and a bit of Meredith smashed into one character. Mm -hmm. And then we have Candace King as Carolyn, who is given a more substantial role. Zach Roaring as Matt. Uh, Kayla Ewell as Vicky. Michael Trevino as Tyler. And then uh, I think we meet him in the 13th episode, Matt Davis as Alaric, who is the teacher that Meredith will eventually go on to woo in the books and hear... Fun times. It's Carolyn who ends up with Alaric, and she ends up having twins with him, but she ends up dating Stefan and Elena and Damon get together by the end of the series. Yeah, it's as exhausting as that cast list, to be perfectly honest. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of sexy shenanigans. And as mm -hmm. I mentioned, this plot hustles. So I feel like the TV show gobbles up the plot of the series, like the book series, in probably about 16 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> the other fun thing fast. is that if you watch the TV show, everyone will either die at least once, if not more, and nearly every character gets turned into a vampire. I think the most important thing to mention, Joe, is that um, the Salvatore boys are not Italian no. anymore. They are all American vampires now. Yes. And they took a stand in the Civil War. They did. Damon yeah. did. So you mentioned that you wondered whether it becomes something a little bit more substantial. And really, that is the extent that they go into. So here, I should correct myself. So it's Mystic Falls in the TV show. It is Fell's Church in the book. That's series. it. Yes, yeah. Fell's Church. Because in, in both versions, the town has an important historical connection. In the books, that doesn't get unpacked. So really, you just need to know that, yes, there were vampires here in the past, and that the town's founder, Honoria Fell, left a diary that talked about how they dealt with it, and that comes into play. And because of this great civil war battle, a lot of people died here, and so there's a lot of sadness, and the permeable layer between the spirit world and the real world is really thin there mm -hmm. on account of all the dead yes which is Science. interesting because that's a bit of a trope for a number of supernatural properties so like buffy the vampire slayer uses the same idea that the town is set on a hellmouth, and that's why it attracts so many monsters and demons ah mm-hmm but in the tv show that's it's really just like the salvatore brothers were here in the past so it's like when you do the flashbacks to where they came from and the relationship with Catherine 
We just learned that Damon is a bit of a deserter, like he abandons his responsibilities to fight in the war. And Stefan is the good boy who will presumably step up if needed to, but he's book smart, so his dad protects him. But specifically, Damon abandons the Confederacy. Mm -hmm. And so Stefan's a good boy who will ostensibly, if pressed, fight for the confederacy i'm fascinated by the dynamic of that and also the fact that catherine owns slaves does that get unpacked later in the series or do we just chill out with that idea oh so here's the deal she does not own slaves because Mm. of course her slave in this case is uh, a witch (laughs) so it's the idea that the supernatural creatures (laughs) gravitate towards each other and help each other out she's 100 percent a slave I should also note that there is a a connection (laughs) there. So that character, whose name I can't recall, the witch who works for Catherine and is her slave. Mary? Sure. Uh, (laughs) It should be noted that she is played by Bianca Lawson, who is literally ageless. She looks the exact same now as she does back then and back when she was on (gasps) Buffy as another Slayer. Very significant but minor role in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So kind of a fun connection there. That is fun. Cool. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you said you don't like the show. No. So why do you not like the show? I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I found it all very dramatically CW. Yes. And not in the sort of... Not in a good way for you? Not in a good way. Like, obviously, I have I have loved some CW shows in my time, mm-hmm. but I feel like this show takes itself extremely seriously. Yes. And I don't think the source material <laughs> lends itself to this level of, like, focus and intensity. Hmm. First of all, when I watch a show that burns through plot this quickly, because I we only watched three episodes and I had no idea where I was ever. Like, I oh, kept yeah. getting whiplash. When you jump from episode six... You're missing, like, more than a season of a normal show Yes. in between six episodes. So, like, when you have a show that's burning through plot so quickly, I think it's really hard to also kind of be so self-serious. Like, normally when I watch a show that that has that level of uh, frivolity about its own storytelling and plot, I find that... I just find that I'm I'm really not interested in it beyond, like a cheekiness kind of thing this show Mm -hmm. has no cheekiness it's just like i don't know the period costumes were a lot (laughs) i don't know it was it is not a show for me i would never seek out this program so to be fair but like i just found i found the overacting to be a lot Hmm. i found the panting everybody's panting all the time (laughs) that's a lot (laughs) okay i can tell you (laughs) (laughs) sure I can tell you that the show was very much an out-of-the-box success. So I think partially because it had Williamson attached to it, in part because they were able to lean into the romantic triangle. Genre was quite popular in 2009. So this did very, very well for the CW. And to a certain extent, it actually set them up on a certain path, where for a while it was like they had supernatural shows, and then Arrow debuted which is the DC Comics adaptation. And right. then they went superheroes. And it was like, that was their two modes with the occasional kind of like female melodrama mixed in every once in a while. Right. And in fairness, those are my favorite CW shows. 
Right. The female melodrama. Yeah, give me those Jane the Virgins and uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriends, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, this is first and foremost, it is a teen show, but it's also very much a horror show. Mm. We are killing people in literally every episode, sometimes multiple people. So part of that is that if you're not attracted to the vampiness of it, like the vampire-ness of yes. it... You're basically just watching a bunch of people get introduced so that they can become red shirts who are then murdered. And that can get a little exhausting. Yes, that is how I felt. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I mean, like, we're also watching multiple episodes in a short duration as opposed to watching this week to week. So, you know, the show ends every episode on a cliffhanger. So it's like, tune in next week to find out what happens with Elena and the Salvatore brothers and... There's a propulsiveness to that that I think a lot of people really latched onto because it felt like, oh, wow, it's so heavily serialized and we're moving at such a brisk pace that you just kind of like jump onto this train because we are leaving the station and there's no turning back. Do you think it's sort of the end of the the pre-binge period of television making? Uh, we're definitely heading into that period because I think House mm-hmm. of Cards is really the game changer for where it's like, yeah. oh, everything is coming at all at once with streamers. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously Netflix's first show, but I think I want to say that was like 2013 or 2014. Yeah. So it's like it's on the horizon. Yeah, because it feels to me like very much an architecture of a show that lends itself to once a week, right? Mm-hmm. And that that anticipation especially with the vampire trope anyway, right? That anticipation is part of the pleasure. Yes. Whereas when you sit down to binge a show that was was very much designed around a cliffhanger structure so that you come back week to week, mm-hmm. I tend to find those shows exhausting to oh, binge. Yes, yeah. Right now we're in a period where a lot of streaming shows will talk about themselves as, oh, we're a 12-hour movie. Oh, we're an 8-hour movie. And it's like, well, that's exhausting on its own. Yeah. (laughs) But also, (laughs) when you know you're producing content for that, you pace it differently, right? Like, you can still have cliffhangers, but you're not going to be in such a rush to murder everybody in every episode. Whereas here, it's like, okay, well, we've got to make this 42-minute period count. So Mm -hmm. how do we tell contain stories that are exciting that are bombastic that are sexy and exciting and then how do we get people to tune in next week yeah because you've got to make ratings every week right like that's very obviously part of the formula here is like what sensational thing will you be looking forward to in the next episode Mm -hmm. and i just wonder if i don't know i mean we're getting away from the topic of the thing i guess but i'm just curious if that era of television is sort of behind us like if if Yeah, I guess that's what I'm asking. Is that era of television behind us? Do we still want to watch things that are so structured around the the tension and the anticipation? Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that you say that because, of course, the most sensational slash buzzy show of the year at the current mode that we're recording in right now has been WandaVision. Mm -hmm, Which was back to a weekly structure, right? Went back to the weekly structure, but... Mandalorian too. Yeah, the same idea. But we heard nothing but bemoaning from fans Mm -hmm. who were like, give Mm -hmm. it to me all at once. I don't want to wait a week. So Mm -hmm. to a certain regard, I do think we've moved beyond that to the point where we now expect complete gratification and everything has to be available to us all at once or else like I'm dying. Mm -hmm. But it also changes the storytelling mode, especially too, because the other thing about the Vampire Diaries is that it's in a time when television was still releasing 22 to 24 episodes a year. Mm -hmm. So like, imagine this show 
but going for a full 22 episodes. Like, we didn't even cover the first half of the season. Yeah. So it's a lot. It is a lot. And it's funny because so I downloaded the whole first season because I was like, well, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be away for some weeks. I'm sure I'm going to want to watch this whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) And then you were like, I'm so tired. (laughs) That was exactly it. Like, I found the pacing. Well, I guess it is. It's ultimately the pacing. I found the Mm -hmm. pacing exhausting. Like, I did not want to watch more than like a half an episode at a time. And... (laughs) That's kind of fascinating to me, right? Because, and I'm thinking back to the shows, the first shows that I binged, although we didn't call it that then, but like in the box set days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for me, it was House. Like House was the first show that I ever, House and Scrubs, some kind of medical thing. Mm, Those are the first two shows that I sat down and like watched entire box sets of in like multiple sittings. And in both cases, no cliffhanger. Both cases, totally self-contained episodes. So I'm just, I don't know, I'm kind of thinking about structure this week because I didn't like the content. <laughs> See, that is so telling, though, because mine was 24, which is very oh. much built on the premise of ending every hour on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. We're very different people, Joe. I think we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All this to say, we did get a couple of people who gently encouraged us to say, oh, well, even the first season of a TV show, like it it does take some time to find its sea legs. And I definitely noticed that. So I watched the first three episodes and then I watched, I think, six and seven and 13 and 14, just because I found one episode standing in isolation was sometimes challenging to pick up where the stories had left off, but also just to see how it had progressed. Yes. I found the first couple of episodes not great. Like the show, I fell asleep when I tried to watch episode two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it, it, it just like, it feels like a little redundant asleep. in a way. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it did remind me of that old thing where there's a lot of time spent, at least in the episodes we watched in the first season, reminding us of what happened in the episode before. Like more than mm-hmm. just the recap at the beginning. There's a lot of calling back. And a lot of reminding you of what's happening, which is good if you're not watching the whole thing, but it's also kind of repetitive. (laughs) Yes, it is that, particularly with the relationship between the two boys, because they, because we're not trapped in Alina's head, we actually get Mm. to see other people's perspectives. So it is a lot of sexy, angry faces between Damon and uh, Stefan. And I kind of find that, a bit exhausting like I find it Mm -hmm. exhausting in the books as well but particularly here because we've got the vantage of exploring other people's perspectives I'm frequently like oh god no please don't leave me with Stefan (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's I really don't enjoy him in the series at all I mean they're all eminently attractive like this this cast is so sexy hot like Mm -hmm. very much in the CW wheelhouse I was going to say they're a very traditional CW cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I do appreciate the fact that it's like, okay, Bonnie's not a redhead. Bonnie's going to be a black woman. And mm-hmm. I think what ends up happening is that these characters end up having a lot more fun when they get to stretch out of the very rote roles that they're playing in these early episodes. So particularly like Cat Graham's Bonnie goes through this whole arc where like she hates vampires because as we saw in episode 13 her grandmother dies trying to keep this portal open and as a result she loses the person who's most important to her so she ends up going on this half season arc where she hates vampires and she actively tries to kill them but by the end of the series she and Damon are actually best friends and 
It's, mm. I think, in part because Ian Somerhalder and Kat Graham have fantastic chemistry. Mm. You don't get a good taste of what Candace, the Carolyn character, can do right. in these early episodes. As the series progresses, the showrunners discover that she's actually hilarious. She's so she has a really good comedic sense of timing, and they partner her up romantically with Stefan, which actually makes him a more interesting character as a result. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's like when they when they start to partner people up in unexpected ways, that's where you start to get a lot more interesting storytelling. Or rather, interesting character work. Because the storytelling does remain kind of consistent. Like, we're always just killing people. There's always witchy spells. Uh, there's always blood curses and grimoires and books to be discovered and so on. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. All that to say, I'm sorry that it didn't work for you. But I am glad that you at least got some enjoyment out of the books. Because I was worried this was going to be like a zero for two for you. <laughs> no, I genuinely enjoyed the books. I thought they were frothy and silly. <laughs> Okay, well, shall we do some Hawaii bingo? Yeah. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay. okay. I have a pretty good feeling about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, hollow friendships and romances. Yes, definitely. Oh, obviously, magic supernatural. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The chosen one. Yes. Elena's the chosen one, obviously. Oh, my goodness, yes. Um... Dead bodies, lots of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No shortage. Um, I did say have? a road trip so that we could go and see Meredith's uh, grandfather. Right. Yes. Excellent. Okay. Good one. <laughs> you know, vampires are forever young. Yeah. No. Okay. So I did actually have that because oh. Ian Summerhalder. Obviously, he's playing a vampire, but. Right. He's meant to be a vampire who was turned at the age of what, like eighteen? Yeah. Yeah, so he was 31 when the show went to air <laughs> okay, in 2009. Good one. good one. Oh, by the way, can I just say, Joe, this is unrelated to the bingo board. It is a very horrifying concept to me, the idea of being frozen in time at, at 17. I can see why it's attractive for some yes. people, but for yes. me, absolutely not. I would need to be able to grow mentally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would love to. Well, actually, you know what? Even at 17, I wouldn't want to be stuck looking like that. Yeah. Not that we're no. saying it out loud. Uh, yeah. Okay. I've got inclusion flip for you oh, know, yeah, characters like Bonnie. I do have filmed in the territory now known as Canada because the first episode, so the pilot of the TV show was actually filmed in your neck of the woods in Vancouver. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they moved to Georgia for tax break purposes. I was going to say you. <laughs> um, I've got aged up for Jeremy. Oh, yeah. Good choice. Because Margaret is like eight or whatever yeah i put in a holiday climax because in the book series everything happens on either prom or the town festival i knew you were gonna do this i would just want to are point you out, disagreeing with me again <laughs> i just want to say that in past episodes we have we have made the point that a prom is not a holiday but i will give it to you for the town festival <laughs> okay but prom is not a holiday joe I disagree. In YA, I think the prom is a holiday. <laughs> um, I had borrowed time on here because it often feels like, oh, we got to do something before whatever Druid holiday is coming up next, like the next solstice. <laughs> so true. Or prom. Yes, or prom. And then I did have perfect date because we don't get a true taste of it, but there's a lot of like 
Stefan and Elena go on like this thing in the show and they have like the best of times and then something supernatural happens and it ruins everything. Oh, okay. If you say so, I believe you. <laughs> yeah, do you have anything else? No. Sorry, I don't think that's a line, my friend. That is not a line, no. No. Well, (laughs) we tried. Uh, Joe, Mm -hmm. if people want to send you their Vampire Diaries slash fiction, (laughs) where do they send it to? You can send it to my Twitter handle, at bstolemyremote, and that's the letter B. You cannot send it to my Twitter handle, which is at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And of course, you can get both of us on the shiny at HKHSPod Twitter handle or at the hashtag HKHSPod. And you can email us, HKHSPod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Next week is Book Club. Yes. Yes. So excited. Sorry for the delay, everybody, on account of me disappearing real life things yeah but (laughs) we are finally going to talk about are you there god it's me market next week and i am so excited yeah i'm very very excited i'm a little disappointed that we're not going to get to talk about tiger eyes as we had maybe initially planned to do but you know what i feel like this is the more culturally historical text like this is the one that people remember judy bloom for so i'm excited to check it out yes an icon we could still, we'll work Tiger Eyes in sometime in the future. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. So until next time, I am thrilled to be back and grateful again to Jenny and Jessica for keeping my seat warm for me. <laughs> and until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.